Chilling with Jara Monique. I'm your host, Jara, and this is the show where we explore how people experience and engage with different aspects of life from their varied perspectives, all while sharing some laughs, some gags, and some advice. On today's episode, we're talking about mental health, kind of a part two. <laughs> and joining me today will be Urvi Patel, an advocate for social justice and mental health awareness. So, Urvi, welcome to the Brownstone. <laughs> Hi, Jara. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, how are you doing? I'm personally very excited yeah. to be talking to you today. I feel so empowered to even be doing something like this with you. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Uh, Urvi, I love you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, you guys don't know this, but Urvi and I have never met in person, like physically in person. Um, we've just met. Um, we've been put in touch with one another through a mutual friend and just like online, you know, communication, especially in the age of like COVID. And you have such a, just a beautiful energy that it's like contagious. So I'm so happy that you're doing this uh, with me. And I already feel like better because I was just lounging around in bed literally before this. <laughs> I hear you. I, um, I've been feeling really fatigued and tired this morning because yes. Amongst a lot of things, the presidential debate was last night, and I put myself through it and watched it. And as soon as I started this call with you, I just like brightened up. And yeah, we've never met before, but I just feel a sense of comfort with you immediately. Oh, thank you. I feel the same. It's mutual. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I'm doing good. I think, like you just said, I've also been feeling like a state of fatigue. Um. <laughs> I would say the last couple of days, especially, I don't know if it's seasonal. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's like the, the energy is changing, the planetary alignments are changing. Right, right. Um, or it could just, you know, I need more vitamin D in my life. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not as sunny anymore. So, right. um, so yeah, but things like this, like this podcast, mm-hmm. recording with you, recording with other friends has really been like sort of like life source energy that I've been needing. So I'm going to, you know embrace it as much as I can. But how how have you been? I've been doing okay. Um, You know, given the pandemic, given the state of the world, today I'm doing well. And I think that's important to say because our emotions change every single day. And in this moment, I'm doing really well. So thank you for asking. Yeah. Oh, wow. I I love that. I love that you preface it that way, because you're, you're absolutely right. Our feelings, our emotions, like, our capabilities change sometimes day to day. So yeah. And I think that's a, that's a good reminder for all of us. Mm-hmm. I, I like that you prefaced it that way. I, okay. So today I'm doing well as, <laughs> as well. I'm doing okay today as well. <laughs> you know, it's something that people ask each other every day. Like, how have you been because of the pandemic? They hadn't really seen each other. And there's this pressure to say, Oh, I'm good. I'm fine everything's okay. But I think it's so important just to preface it. Well, today I'm not doing well, but tomorrow I might be better. Or today I'm doing well, but tomorrow might not be such a great day. And I, I think everyone deserves that opportunity to kind of preface that, you know? Yeah, no, I completely agree. And um, I think it's a, a type of grace that we can give ourselves mm-hmm. and then we can give others as well. And I love that because I'm the type of person and I've been working, you know, through this and I'm sure we'll get into this more as the episode goes on, um, who like, if someone's like not okay, then, you know, the gears in my head start, you know, 
moving and I'm like, okay, what do we need to do? How can we help? Like what's going on? And then sometimes it's just like, no, it's mm-hmm. they're not okay right now. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Like that's okay. Yep. Got to feel the feels. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So um, that was a really good reminder. So thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> and uh, so we're going to roll into the first segment of the show, which is called What's the Meaning? And this is where we take a word that's related to today's topic or one floating around in the zeitgeist and discuss what it means in relation to ourselves and our experience with it. Uh, today's word is advocate, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which I guess, yeah, is related to today's topic because mm-hmm. as I described in uh, the intro, you are an advocate for social justice and mental mm-hmm. health awareness. And I feel like advocate has been, especially this election year um, mm-hmm. and all the political things happening has been tossed out a lot, you know, for a lot of us, but we never really actually talk about what an advocate is and what that means. So like for you, Udri, like what is an advocate? Yeah, I... I personally love this word so much because there's so much action behind it, right? So it's not something similar how allying is a verb, not a noun. Advocating is a verb, not a noun, right? And to be an advocate for me means consistently putting in the action and using my privilege in a way that impacts the causes and the people that I personally care about. And know that are marginalized, know that are not being served the way that they deserve to be served. So that's what it means to me personally. Wow. That's, I think that's a very succinct way of putting Mm -hmm. it. I love that you said it's an action word. And so it Mm -hmm. means putting action towards, I think the, the things that you believe in, the people you believe in, the causes you believe in. And I think the key word also that you said, and what I would say as well is consistency. Right. Um, Yeah. Which means essentially showing up. So, you know, um, with, with this whole year, racial justice has evolved. Um, and it's always been there. The need has always been there. But when all of this started back in March, there was this huge surge in quotes, advocacy, right? And here we are months later, and it's kind of diminished. That's not consistent. And in my eyes, that's not considered advocacy, right? And so I think consistency is such a big part of being an advocate, definitely. Yeah. And I guess to tack on to that, um, because you also mentioned ally, like, is there a difference between an ally and an advocate, do you think? Hmm, That's such a great question. And that's not something... I really considered because I feel like they're so interconnected. Yeah. Um, Cause I feel like I sometimes they're used interchangeably. Yeah. Um, you know, like I feel like, or I feel like honestly, sometimes I, maybe I'll speak for myself. Mm-hmm. People may feel, or I may feel more comfortable um, calling myself an ally. Right. As opposed to an advocate. Right. Mm-hmm. Which that I mean, makes sense. I'm thinking about it. I'm like, why? <laughs> but it makes sense because you bring up such a good point because the word advocate, I personally feel like many people see that word or hear that word and they think it's reserved for someone who is a professional advocate. So someone who's in law, someone who's a lawyer, someone who's a social worker or a teacher and so on. But advocate is something anyone can be just like, or it's something that they can do because remember it's a verb, right? And that's very similar to allying. It's someone that anyone can do. And it's not just reserved for professionals. And I wonder if that's the kind of distinction that you're thinking about when you're 
you know, feeling more comfortable with the word ally versus advocate. Yeah, I think, I think you honestly hit the nail on the head. I think that's what it is. I feel like advocate, um, maybe for me carries a touch more responsibility Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it does sound almost, uh, in a professional sense, like this is the work Mm -hmm. that you are doing. You are an advocate. And I'm someone who, like, if I feel I don't know enough, um, I can get intimidated and I can, you know, I'll probably want to like, you know, lower myself down a little bit. So I'd be like, oh, you know, I'm an ally for these things because I can't, you know, <laughs> go toe to toe or tip for tat with you, or I, you know, or I can't pull up statistics, you know, off the top mm-hmm. of my head or something. Mm-hmm. So I tend to like get intimidated and go, you know, no, 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 no. I, I'm an ally. You know, I'm a supporter. I believe in in rights for for everyone. Yeah. Um, but I think it's it's almost like you need, you know, like you said, we can all be advocates. It doesn't require mm-hmm. a degree. It doesn't require any yeah. sort of you know, specialization, any sort of certification, just mm-hmm. a willingness to to show up. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I think you just brought up a fantastic point about, you know, kind of having this fear of not knowing all of the information, feeling a little bit intimidated. And part of advocacy work is learning, is like educating yourself, right? So even though you may not consider yourself an advocate if you're consistently educating yourself on a cause that's very important to you and to society and to people that are being harmed, then I would consider you an advocate because you're being consistent. You're educating yourself in order to empower yourself to do more. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's a great, beautiful point. I think, um, I, I'm thinking I'm laughing cause I'm laughing at myself a little bit. <laughs> it's like, of course. Why wouldn't you give yourself the space to learn? Like you, yes. you don't know everything. We, mm-hmm. we all don't know everything. And sometimes we have to unlearn a lot of the things right. that have been, you know, told to us in order to become advocates you Absolutely. Know, for people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this also is reminding me of like, we can also advocate for ourselves, which yeah. I think we never take into consideration. <laughs> That's such a great point. And uh, to follow up with, you know, all the all this conversation leading up to this point, because advocacy can sometimes be seen as something that's intangible or like something that's um, too far-fetched for someone who's not a professional um, to participate in, I just want to say that it there are so many ways to be an advocate, right? There are so many ways that are accessible, that are independent and it doesn't always require something that's uppity, right? And yeah different ways include using your voice with your friends during conversations, talking to your family, going on social media, doing a podcast with a friend, right? Um, It means volunteering. It means, you know, buying from specific types of businesses like black owned businesses or organizations. It can just mean such a variety of things that are accessible to so many different types of people. And that eliminates the need for someone to be a professional, to be an advocate, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's an incredibly good point. I think also too, like there is no one way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause like mm-hmm. you said, like all of our capabilities will be different and the ways in which we feel we can best serve, you know, will look mm-hmm. different for each of us. So, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it'll be like you said, on a smaller, more intimate scale of like having that conversation with mm-hmm. a friend or having that conversation with a family member. Um, and just sharing what you've learned and not coming from like a sort of pious place of like, yes, 
I'm better than you or I'm smarter than you or like you're dumb or whatever, but just saying like, hey, look at all these great things that I took the time to kind of, you know, investigate. And I want to share this with you. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, and that's a great way to advocate. I think too, what I'm coming to understand is like, you know, advocacy um, also doesn't need to be like, I don't know, it can look like a a grand gesture or a public gesture, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. when you publicly stand up for causes that you believe in and people that you believe in. Of course, so many of us use social media as a platform in which to do that. And I think like that's wonderful because it, it has a broader reach, but I would say to anyone who um, like me was like afraid to call themselves an advocate, Mm -hmm. like it doesn't always have to be like this huge public gesture. Like it can just be within your personal life um or within like you just your your sphere of of influence if that makes sense (laughs) sphere of influence no yeah that makes a hundred like that's where all the work happens right in your individual sphere of influence in your social circles in your day-to-day interactions i i personally feel like that's where the like change is happening if it's happening effectively and like you said, the way someone advocates is going to be different depending on who they are, depending on what their expertise is in, depending on how comfortable they are, depending on their personality styles. But overall, I would say to anyone who is interested or you know, knowing more about advocacy, the most important thing to me is for it to be consistent. Whatever it is you're doing, make sure you're consistent and make sure that you're positively impacting the people that you're advocating for. because. I've seen advocacy or, you know, advocacy quotes, unquote, and it's just negatively impacted the people that, um, that are, that the advocacy was supposed to be meant for. Right. And at that point, that's not considered advocacy because that's leading to more harm than good. Yeah. Wow. That's a very good point that I, I didn't think of like, you also, yeah, need to take into account how, what you're doing is affecting those you're Mm -hmm. actually trying to, you know, support in whatever way that may mean. So right. I guess um to I guess tag on to that. So like how do you think like one should show up for mm-hmm. people that they want to advocate for? Yeah. That's a great question to consider because whether you show up and how you show up is so interrelated, right? And it's a fine balance. It's a thin line between positively being there and negatively being there. And I think you hit the point a little bit earlier in our conversation when you were talking about something that you don't feel like um, you have all the knowledge on. First thing to do is to learn. First thing to do is, you know, educate yourself about what you're advocating for so that you have the knowledge base to kind of back up your actions. And anyone can do that in a time where technology is generally mostly accessible and news is mostly accessible it's so important to have this knowledge to back up anything that you're fighting for right and so I think that's the most important part and then another part you also mentioned this earlier Jara is when you're having these conversations or when you're putting an action go in knowing that you are also a lifelong learner you don't know everything you are not an expert and that's okay because no one can be an expert on someone's individual life. <laughs> not even that person sometimes, right? And I think it's so important just to go in with that mindset that you don't know everything and that's okay. And then that also leads to this feeling of maybe feeling like an imposter, you know, the well-known imposter syndrome. But I think that feeling is normal and the most important part is just being consistent 
and making sure that if you're ever, when you're ever called out, it's not personal. It just means that there's room for growth in your advocacy and that's okay. Yeah. I think you just, you just said something. I think that a lot of people, especially in um, today's world of like Twitter and, you know, mm-hmm. quote unquote cancel culture, right. is getting called out. So, mm-hmm. so now there, it's almost like fear-based, right? Where, you know, right. I, of course I think we should all be mindful of like mm-hmm. what we're putting out there and what we're saying. And, um, you know, there is, we're, we're, none of us are above reproach and like accountability, mm-hmm. Right. But yeah, I think there definitely is a, an emphasis right now on like being called out. Like no one wants to be. No one. <laughs> yeah. No one wants to be called out. And unfortunately, like that's, that's the best thing for someone to experience, to feel that feel feeling and to practice what it means to, to like, address being called out in an effective way. So saying, I didn't know that. I'm sorry. I'm going to do better next time instead of coming off as a defensive person. Right. And I think right now the way that cancel culture exists, the way that calling out exists, the human need is to immediately say, no, that's not what I meant. When in fact it's about impact, not intention. Right. So for example, I know that my best friend can have the best intention. She does not. She has no negative intentions about anything she does or says, especially in our interactions together. But if she says something problematic, I would want to feel comfortable to say, hey, listen, that wasn't okay because X, Y, and Z. And hopefully she would say, I'm sorry, I didn't know that. But most people, and I just want to say how normal it is, most people have this urge to say, no, that's not what I meant. Well, of course, I, your best friend, know that's not what you meant. I know that because we have known each other for years. You're my best friend. I know that you don't have a, a negative bone in your body. It wasn't intentional. What I'm talking about is impact, right? And sometimes the impact is so hard to get through to people. And I just want to preface that with it's so normal to have that urge it's about overcoming that urge. How do you overcome that urge to be defensive? Yeah, that's a that's an incredibly good point. And I and I love the way you put it, impact versus intention. Because mm-hmm. a lot of us, you know, myself included, will get stuck on like, that's not my that wasn't my intention. I didn't mean to hurt anyone. I didn't mean to offend anyone. And like you get into that cycle of just like, mm-hmm. oh no, I've done something bad. I've got to defend my character. This is not a reflection of who I actually am. Yes. And you can just completely miss the lesson. Right. That was there, you know, for you to learn. And, you know, we're we're all going to learn several lessons over and over Mm -hmm. again throughout this lifetime. Mm -hmm. That's why we're here. Um, And yeah, and it can be hard. It can be scary. But if you embrace it, there is growth there to then, you know, as we said, show up an even better advocate, you know, next time or going forward. Like, um, like recently, I think it was like Brianna had a fashion show and, um, within Mm -hmm. one of the dance segments, there was like a snippet of, I believe it was something like, um, from the Quran that was Mm -hmm. used in like a song and like her team didn't like catch it, Mm -hmm. but like those who were Muslim and like followers and fans of Rihanna were like, Hey, this is like part of our scripture. Like this shouldn't be used in a song. It shouldn't be used in a fashion show, especially when people are wearing like lingerie and it's like sort of sexual, whatever. 
and people, you know, rightfully were offended and right. you know they had every right to be in for those of us who maybe didn't practice the same religion or didn't have the same culture mm-hmm. to be on the other side going well it's it's just a song you know like no you're completely missing the point you know it's like it's not about that it's about you know whether you know people wanted to defend rihanna because you know we love her and she's done so much but right. that wasn't the point it wasn't like it was like if someone is offended by it then we need to own that And we need to understand why they're offended instead of, you know, getting up in arms about the intention behind it. Mm -hmm. And then I think Rihanna did a beautiful thing where she just said, I'm so sorry. She said, I had no idea. I can't Mm -hmm. believe, you know, we missed this. It was an honest mistake, but nevertheless, a mistake. Yes. And we're going to take it out the show. Yes. She owned her ignorance. Yeah. And that was the best thing she could have done in that situation. Yeah. And so many people probably have canceled her, but I think what makes her amazing is that she owned it and that makes her a true advocate and a true ally because she's growing from it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, and I'm sorry guys, like it seems super fit, like a superficial example because it's a celebrity, but like that is like <laughs> the no, one yeah. that in mind and mm-hmm. you know, all of us may not be Rihanna, but <laughs> right you know, we can still, you know, take that level of accountability within our own, you know, mm-hmm. personal lives and, and still apply these lessons. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like there was another point I wanted to make, but it completely escapes me. Um, oh, about showing up for, for people. So I think a, a lesson I learned um, mm-hmm. was during uh, the, there's still Black Lives Matters protests happening uh, throughout the country here in the States, but mm-hmm. um, there were, way more prevalent, especially, you know, right after the George Floyd um, murder happened and right after uh, Breonna Taylor and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I remember going to, I'm, you know, in the tri-state area and I went to a protest in Brooklyn Mm -hmm. and it was specifically for black trans lives. And it was a beautiful, beautiful showcase of people from, you know, all walks of life, trans, Mm -hmm. non-trans, non-binary, like everyone just showing up saying, we're here for black trans lives, like yeah. specifically, you know, like it wasn't yeah. like, you know, people showing up with their signs going, but you know, this other black life right. matter, was like, no, we're here specifically black trans, for lives. Black trans lives. Right. Mm-hmm. And the, um, the organizers and those who were speaking, um, were all either black trans people, black non-binary, non-binary people, or just, mm-hmm. um, trans people of color. And they kind of, you know, imparted to us, like, it's wonderful that you're here. But the mm-hmm. voices that need to be the loudest are mm-hmm. the black trans voices. <laughs> so they were like, do not speak over these voices. You know, let us lead the chance. Like, port us, show up for us, but do not, you know, it was almost like, don't overstep. Yes. And I, and that, like, when I heard that, I was like, oh, wow, that is, that is so true. Because then mm-hmm. one side of you was like, you know, but we're here, like, you know, we're here, like, right. you know, if we're invigorated and we're passionate about this, like, what's the problem? And then the other side was like, no, you'll completely miss the point. <laughs> Their voices are already marginalized and silenced. So yeah. if you're going to be an advocate, if you're going to be an ally, you're going to show up. Part of that means you have to listen. Yes. You Jarrett, you, I'm so glad you shared that story because you just triggered another thought that I had about advocacy work. So when people think of advocacy and they think about using their voice, right? Using their voice for good. 
But that doesn't mean using your voice to speak over the people that you are advocating for, for instance, in your case at that march for Black trans lives. You do not speak over them. You can speak for them in spaces that they are non-existent, that they're not there, that they weren't given a chair at the table, right? But once you get into their space, amplify their voice. And that's exactly what that march did, which I love. Yeah, yeah. And it was such like, I was like, wow. It was like, it felt so profound. Like it's sometimes the simplest things that you're like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yes. <laughs> like, why didn't I think of that, you know? <laughs> um, and it and it's the same way where um, I had a conversation recently about a friend and he um, he lives abroad and I'm going to have him on the podcast and he's um, he's from Germany. Mm-hmm. And so we obviously have different, you know, cultural, you know, aspects going on and he'll sometimes like ask about, you know, what's going on here, mm-hmm. you know, racially and stuff like that. And he had asked me a question about like the difference between like Black Lives Matters and like All Lives Matters. And I think he was, you know, he was asking from a place to understand, like to right. be informed, to be educated, mm-hmm. not from a place of like, you know, right. whatever, racist indoctrination of being like, right. I think all lives matter. Like, no, like he just very purely, and I understood was like, mm-hmm. like, what is, what are, what do the words mean? Like he just right. wanted to stand because he's not embroiled in mm-hmm. the same sort of race relations that we are. And, um, but like me explaining that to him was literally just like kind of the example that I just gave and what you just said was like, we're amplifying certain voices that have been Mm -hmm. silenced for a very long time. And Mm -hmm. so when we, when, you know, we want to impart an all lives matter, I was like, you know, it's like being silenced once again, you know, I was like, people fail to understand, you know, no one's saying all lives don't matter, which is what people seem to be stuck on. We're just saying we matter too. (laughs) In addition, (laughs) um, but it's wild that you feel like it's common, you know, but it's not. (laughs) It's not. So I feel like um, the same way you're saying we, it, we, we also have to learn how to advocate. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it takes practice. It really does. It takes practice. It takes some experiences of you being called out, of you calling someone else out. It just, it takes practice. And like I said, no one's going to be perfect about this. You're not going to, there's no end to it. It's an ongoing thing. And it's it's about how consistent you are and how dedicated you are. Yeah, yeah. And do you think like, hmm, since we mentioned this before, but like mm-hmm. where do where do intentions like play a role in terms of like advocating? I don't even know like hmm. what I'm trying to say. But. Yeah, can, you, can you elaborate on that? <laughs> yeah, can I? I don't know that I can. <laughs> I have to skip this question. Um, we'll come back to it. Oh, okay, yeah, I because I, I I like where this question is going. I, it's very thought provoking, but yeah, definitely want to hear more about what your thought process is. Yeah, I think I think you may have answered it already when you said intention versus impact. Because mm-hmm. um, in my head, I started thinking of like the white savior trope and people yeah. who have um, mm-hmm. whether they've used you know religious organizations or whatever to mm-hmm. go into like um, poor communities, um, poor nations, whatever it is, and provide um, help. Or mm-hmm. resources of, you know, and I feel like the intention is that we're coming here to offer aid. Right. But um, 
I don't know that that type of advocacy is as helpful right as people think it is like that's where like my question so I'm wondering I'm like does intention sometimes even matter um such a great question and I have a lot of thoughts about that because I so I did do Peace Corps for a couple years and we Peace Corps is an international um like service organization though I have several thoughts about that but then there's always that question is there more harm that's being caused than good or for example um a group from a church going into a um a community abroad and doing service projects is more harm being caused than good and honestly some can argue it's it is causing more harm i could argue that um but yeah you're right like do intentions even matter at that point i think that most people and most most organizations I think it's safe to say that most people and organizations have good intentions, like their hearts in the right place, but you're right. Impact is more important at that point. Intention is kind of thrown out the window because most people have that good intention anyway. I think it's escalated a little bit more when you're able to look at your impact and determine if it's, if it's working or not, if it's helpful or not. I think that's the question you're asking. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think <laughs> that was. And thank you. Thank you for um, putting that into <laughs> my, you know, uh, I don't know, stream of consciousness into like an actual concise um, answer that people could probably understand where I was trying to go with that. Because I think that's absolutely right. Um, and I think I'm probably thinking about this more as someone who also has been involved in service and someone mm-hmm. that... Um, feels passionate about like community service and wants to make that a part of like my life and the work that I do and the work that I feel called to do, so to speak, Mm -hmm. like my purpose for being here. But I think um, definitely for myself, I think going forward, I will look more so at the impact Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to the intention. And I don't think I'd ever done that before, honestly. Yeah. I, I don't think, Jara, I think both you and I participated in AmeriCorps programs. Um, did you do Vista or N Triple C? N Triple C. I don't. N-C-C. I didn't do Vista. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I, I wanted more hands-on. Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> work. I didn't want to do Vista because I didn't want to be um, like in the office, even though that part of the work is vital as well, mm-hmm. like fundraising and things of that nature. I wanted to do like actual um, hands-on projects. Yeah, hands-on yeah. service, which again, like intention versus impact like I you know I come away I come away from it now years later praying that I was impactful because the intention I went with was I wanted to help right good intentions all around right yeah but Mm -hmm. you never know because there's that saying you know no good deed goes unpunished right like it I think it's a it's a biblical saying I don't know I'm pretty sure don't roast me guys (laughs) I don't know the bible (laughs) I think like every biblical quote create or like comes from Twitter. I'm like, I read that on that was a tweet. I saw someone oh my gosh. Was like, okay, girl. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's some validity to that saying. So I'm wondering now, and there's no real way for me to, I mean, know other than to just hope. I mean, I'm still in touch right. with you know, some people from the school that I volunteered mm-hmm. at who mm-hmm. um, have been very kind and still have very kind things to say so I'm like all right if the lasting impact seems you know right still be miss you we wish you were here oh yeah well then well it couldn't have been too bad right (laughs) 
Yeah. This is such a hard thing to reflect on because you're very passionate about service. It's something that I've, um, I've, I've participated in, in the past as well. And it's so difficult to admit that the first thing that drove me was this passion and intention to help and not the community needs. Like that was focusing on community needs was definitely a part of my pursuit of service work, of volunteer work. But the thing that drove me first was passion. And I feel like where I am now, a little older, a little wiser, a little bit more experienced, I'm understanding that community needs needs to happen first. It needs to be prioritized first over my passion, even though passion is such an important driving force. And uh, yeah, it's just so hard to admit that, you know? Yeah. And you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And I think it only, yeah, comes with reflection and (laughs) part of that learning, like part of me, you know, looking into other international programs, um, Mm -hmm. similar to the work that you did. And then, you know, looking up articles that were like, you know, should you do this? And I was (laughs) like, what? Well, I never actually thought about that because I just thought, you know, you're helping. There's nothing bad about helping. (laughs) Exactly. But that's what I feel like that's what organization, society, government has told us we're doing. By doing this, you're really helping a community. But then it takes people to actually research and to actually learn mm-hmm. to determine that by themselves and stop listening to what the outside world is saying is helping. Because, you know, we do live in a colonized, whitewash world. Yeah. And a lot of what we're being told is helping people is not, you know, and that's something you said this earlier, it's something that we have to actively unlearn and relearn whatever the actualities are for ourselves, right? Yeah, yeah. So I would say like, to try to put everything we've discussed over the last, you know, 40 minutes, (laughs) for those who are, you know, looking to be advocates or become advocates or better their advocacy, like, I think, like you said, consistency, you know, yeah. showing up consistently, um, learning is a huge part of it and mm-hmm. um, showing up in a way that I think works for, for you, for your capabilities, for your yeah. comfort level, for, you know, and for the issues and causes that you feel driven to, to advocate for, as mm-hmm. well as like amplifying the voices of those, you know, communities above mm-hmm. your own. <laughs> Absolutely. You nailed it. Thank you yeah. for summarizing our yeah. big blob of conversation around that. I personally enjoyed it a lot, but yeah, I'm sure that's going to be helpful to have that concise message to our listeners. And if you're um, also like the last part of our discussion, if you are looking to help and get involved, especially in community service, um, just maybe ask yourself why mm-hmm. <laughs> and what you hope um, will come of it and who you're actually doing it for. Because, you know, it's not, it's not, bad or wrong to to do it because it feels good like nobody wouldn't do it if it didn't feel good to help others unfortunately but you know that's part of it (laughs) it absolutely is yeah and guys on that note we're going to take a short little break and we'll be right back with our main topic discussion We are back from our short little break, and it is now time for our main topic discussion known as the stoop. And this is where we get real. Um, I always say put our satin bonnets on, take our bras off. That's when I'm most comfortable, (laughs) y'all. And as I mentioned today, we are talking about mental health. 
So um, as we discussed in the earlier part of the show, being an advocate, and one of the, I think, things that you said you advocate for is mm-hmm. mental health awareness. Right. So, I mean, my question for you is, is why, why that? Why that sector? Mm-hmm. I mean, why not advocate for it, right? <laughs> That's like the, the most basic question. But mental health is just as important as physical health, if not more, I could argue. And it's something that everyone has and everyone is impacted by, even if they don't have the language to necessarily say that or identify it. Um, Yeah, and it's just so important to understand. And we talked about this in the beginning that mental health is so fluid. It changes day by day. Um, And so I advocate for it to normalize it because it's not something that was normalized for me personally. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. I love that you say that, to normalize it. Yeah. And like, I mean, maybe I should ask you this then, then what is um, mental health for you? Like when we say mental health, like what does that bring to mind uh, specifically for you? Man, it, that, there's so many things going through my head right now because it's a lot. It's um, emotional intelligence. It's able mm-hmm. to unpack and before even unpacking, identifying past traumas or even experiences that have impacted who I am today. It is the way I react to stressful situations or the way I'm unable to react. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot. Yeah, there are so many things going through my head as soon as you ask that question. And I feel like even just that fact is part of mental health, right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, um, that's my fault because this wasn't one of the uh, like pre-prepared <laughs> questions I had. This literally, um, I just asked this right now as it occurred oh, to me. Okay. So um, I understand if you feel like, I don't mean to put you on the spot. No, you're good. You, like kind of understand uh, when we talk about advocating for mental health, um, yeah. what that meant for you, like what, okay. uh, what was part of that. But I love what you said, like emotional intelligence, because mm-hmm. I feel like that is a part like, um, that as a society as a whole, especially here in the West and the States, it gets overlooked, mm-hmm. not something that is really taught to us. We're not meant to understand it. And I feel like just as we learn math, reading science, yeah. like, that needs to be a part of our curriculum. You know, we need to learn emotional intelligence as well. We need to almost curate it in a sense and cultivate it because um, a lot of what we, I don't know, take in is from the world around us, our immediate families, our broader, you know, families when we start, you know, going out into the world. And, you know, you're taking in bits and pieces from everybody else and not necessarily understanding how, you know, that works, how it, how it gets put together or if it even is meant for you or mm-hmm. what your own, you know, thoughts or feelings are. Sometimes we, we don't even, we can't even connect to what we actually feel yeah. because we haven't learned how to do that. And no. it's, a, it's a skill. It's a skill set, honestly. It's such, yes. It's a skill set that, and from what you're saying, I remember being in elementary school, middle school, high school, and not having access to something like that, to learning something like that, or, even being open to it until my adult years. And that's, that's wild to me because I feel like that's such a core skill to have in order to become an emotionally intelligent person in order to kind of live your life the way that, um, that is healthy for you physically and mentally because they're both so interconnected. Yeah, no, definitely. And I feel like it's um, almost like a disservice to all of us Mm -hmm. that, you know, 
we have to face so many challenges sometimes to get to a place where yes. we uh, start learning, you know, mm-hmm. to, to recognize these things. Um, and some of us suffer for a very long time uh, mm-hmm. because of that. And like you said, if we were to normalize that, like what would, what would that look like for us? Like that would just change everything. <laughs> I think there's this um, meme or something going on around the internet. It's been there for a while, but um, someone says they've broken their leg. What do you do? You're like, okay, we got to take you to the hospital. Someone says, I'm experiencing symptoms of depression. The answer is, oh, you'll get over it, go to sleep or, you know, take a nap, um, go do this, go do that. But it's not, it's not normalized. It's not seen as equally as harmful, if not more as the broken leg. And that's so problematic because that, that, that right there is an example of why there's a need to normalize mental health and to create more awareness around mental health because currently it's just not normalized. Even though I feel like it's evolving, it's still not there yet. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's, um, I think it's, we're definitely seeing a change, like um, even the way like it's talked about more, uh, the way that, I mean, because it's become so prevalent, like mm-hmm. there's, I don't know what, I don't know what the statistics are, but I know it's high about like, mm-hmm. like the adults here in the state who experience depression, who experience mm-hmm. anxiety, um, people who are living with one or more, you know, mental illnesses, like the numbers I feel like have skyrocketed and not because like these things didn't exist before. It's just like, we are finally acknowledging them and finally seeking a way to treat and to talk about, you know? So, um, and I hope that continues forward. I mean, there's even programming. I mean, (laughs) I'm not going to leave too much credit to like Dr. Phil and stuff, but like, (laughs) (laughs) um, we see that people want to engage at least in that way. People are looking for answers, Mm -hmm. right. To Mm -hmm. something that, um, for so long, I think, like you said, was just like, walk it off, sleep it off, right? write it off. Like, it's just like, oh, no. <laughs> Absolutely. And because it impacts every part of your life. like if, Every part. Yeah. If you don't feel your best, how can you do your be best? Your best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How can you be your best partner, be your best friend, mm-hmm. or, or whatever it is that you need to be, you know, to just exist, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, so we're going to dig in a little more. And I want to ask, like, <laughs> <laughs> here comes the hard part. Yeah. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Sorry, guys. This is me constantly digging, 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 digging. Great. Um, and please share as much or as little as you feel comfortable sharing. Um, and I will, of course, do the same. But like, what has been your personal experience with mental health? I think you already kind of briefly mentioned not having. Mm-hmm. Um, space or access to even talking about mental health or um, things of that nature growing up? Yeah. So I feel like for me, it wasn't until a few years ago, so maybe three to five years ago that I began to realize that, hey, there is nothing innately wrong with you. It's mental health, right? And for context, I'm 26 years old. Um, And before that realization hit me, I internalized this idea that my behaviors, my emotions, and my thoughts were just not normal. That's the thought that I had, that I was not normal. Something was behaviorally wrong with me. And that's something that was confirmed by family. That was something that was confirmed by just society in general. And I didn't always understand 
my feelings or the effect that certain people in certain situations had on my physical body were connected to mental health because I didn't know mental health was a thing. And then I finally realized that it was. And I didn't start going to therapy or counseling until the beginning of this year, right? So again, context, I was 25 at the beginning of this year. So it took that long for me to realize, hey, maybe there's a lot in your life that um, it would be beneficial for you to unpack. It would be beneficial for who you want to become and for your emotional intelligence to kind of learn more about it. And again, for more context, earlier in this year, I had just gotten home from working abroad with the Peace Corps for two years. And so I was living with my parents, I was searching for a job, and I was navigating returning to a Western lifestyle, especially in Trump's America. So there was a lot going on. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I knew that I had past issues that hadn't been resolved. So from when I was younger to to about like 20s, right? Um, and to feel the effects of returning home on top of those past experience was a lot, to say the least. And I was struggling earlier this year. I was having panic attacks and anxiety attacks. And it was more than I had experienced in the past. So it was more consistent. And at the same time, I was still terrified, petrified to take this leap into even considering something like counseling, which is wild to me now as I sit here today, being such a huge advocate for that. Um, There was a night earlier this year that kind of like flipped a switch for me and I found myself just having a moment of thinking, wow, I really need to do something. I really need to help myself because, and that was a form of advocacy for myself, right? Like I need to advocate for myself. And so I I called up my sister, who's a school counselor at an elementary school, and she just really pushed me in the right direction. She said, you need to find a therapist um, and you need to do it soon. You need to have an action plan. And she was there just guiding me in that direction. And so there I was for several months having sessions, understanding myself and my family a lot more. So again, I was living with my parents Um, and just moving forward from experiences and emotions that had held me down for so long. Some things that I just wasn't able to verbalize, things I wasn't able to identify. I was suddenly able to identify them and see them as normal normal behaviors, normal feelings, normal emotions, right? And so even now where I am today, I just, I'm such a huge advocate for counseling and therapy. And I do want to emphasize that and preface that with, I want to advocate for accessible and inclusive therapy because a lot of it can be expensive. A lot of it can be westernized, colonized, whitewashed in so many different ways. So it's not for everyone, but if it's inclusive and if it's accessible, I I couldn't recommend it enough because that has been my experience leading up to this moment, right? Yeah. Wow. Uri, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I really, really appreciate that. And um, I mean, even though I'm a couple of years older than you, <laughs> <laughs> um, I felt a lot of my story mirrored and what you just shared because um, I think And I don't know if it's about the universality of what we all go through, but it's just, you know, secret hidden stuff that we don't feel like we can say we suffer, you know, in silence, so to speak. Um, But I too also like had always felt like, you know, there was something 
inherently bad or wrong or off about me. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't make, you know, heads or tails about it. And I thought, you know, if I could be a better person, if I could be a good person, if I could, you know, be easygoing or help people mm-hmm. or whatever it was, then then that would somehow fix whatever it was that I thought was broken because yes. name. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even as, you know, someone who I consider myself very friendly, very outgoing, and I, I've always had, um, you know, very supportive friendships. I, there was still so much isolation mm-hmm. that I felt within myself. And, you know, again, couldn't name because I was like, what is wrong with you? Like, why aren't you happy? You know, and they, you know, with the, the ways that society, especially, you know, as you mentioned, Western society tells you, you should be happy. You know, you have a roof over your head, you have your family, you have an education, you know, as you get older, I was able to travel. I was able to do these things. And mm-hmm. it's still like, why aren't you happy? Right. And it's like, how, how can you be if you, you know, don't know yourself essentially, mm-hmm. or you have this, you know, feeling that something's wrong, but you don't know how to verbalize it. You don't mm-hmm. know um, if you're not giving the space yeah. to, to express that. Um, and that's what I feel like so many of us, um, most of us, I would say, really mm-hmm. needed, especially, you know, during those formative years is the mm-hmm. space to say, Hey, I don't feel good. Like, I don't feel good about myself. I think something's wrong. Um, and I'm going to ask you more like about your cultural background and, yeah. and how that um, may have affected your decision to seek out treatment or not. But uh, for myself, like, there was no talk of therapy in my family. <laughs> and as loving as my family was, there was definitely, you know, uh, a culture of, Black people don't go to therapy. <laughs> that's not something we do. That's not the, something that's for us. And I think it mm-hmm. could be in part of what you said, not having an inclusive space right. for our intersectional needs because there are certain needs um, or certain experiences that we will have gone through, I will have gone through that are sort of you know, singular to the black experience that, mm-hmm. you know, is going to look different for, you know, yeah. for example, for a white person and, you know, a white therapist right. may not be able to contextualize that, you know, without mm-hmm. me having to explain everything. Um, and I'm saying that's everyone, you know, I'm sure that there are wonderful, you know, white therapists out there, <laughs> um, but that comes with yeah. you know, understanding those intersectionalities and what they look like across the board for, you know, for women, for POC, for trans, or anyone who's a part of the LGBTQ plus, mm-hmm. uh, disabled folks, like whatever, you know, your intersectionalities are, and there's so many, but, um, but yeah, I had a very similar experience and it. it's mm-hmm. unfortunate that so many of us have to hit a quote unquote rock bottom, mm-hmm. um, to finally be able to, like you said, advocate for ourselves. So right. I think similar to um, you, I, I didn't uh, go through like panic attacks or, or uh, the same thing, but I did have a lot of anxiety that I didn't know um, what to do with because I was someone who needed a lot of control. So once I couldn't control my feelings anymore, mm-hmm. I was like, oh no, what's, what's going on here? <laughs> the methods, you know, I was using before, they're not working. Why are they working? <laughs> I'm laughing because it's it's so relatable to so many people. It's insane what we go through, you know, just to sort of survive, you know, um, mm-hmm. and how much of ourselves we just try to close off. Um, 
just to make it through the day to day. And like sometimes yeah. the uh, situations we end up being put in that will, you know, sort of shake us awake almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm so glad that like you had your sister that you could reach out mm-hmm. to who could inform you of one, that it was okay. Cause I'm assuming she, she just gave you that, you know, reassurance. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then also helped lead you, but also allowed you to, to make that decision for yourself. Cause I think that's, it doesn't work if you're not the one who is the driving force yeah. behind it. Absolutely. You, you know, earlier you said it really does suck that you have to hit rock bottom almost to kind of determine that you need to advocate for yourself. A lot of people, when they hit rock bottom, aren't even in a state to advocate for themselves. You know, it's just like rock bottom and it's just going to go deeper down from there. And so I'm very lucky that I had my sister to be that support for me because if she wasn't, would I still be just going deeper and deeper down that hole? And I just want to say it's very important to understand that not everyone has that support and they're unable to reach that point of self-advocacy because they don't ne- they might not necessarily have that same support or just be in a state to to do something like that. Yeah, no you're absolutely right. Um and like you are fortunate to have a support system and I <laughs> and I also recognize that not everybody um does. So I will say like whoever's listening, even though, you know, we might not know you personally, I would say I'll speak uh, for myself, but I think maybe it'll be, it'll be the same. We, we are supporting you yes. now. So if you have been um, questioning, you know, yourself or wanting to get help or just feeling, you know, lost, confused, broken, mm-hmm. I have to remind you, you know, you're not broken. None of us mm-hmm. are you know, something that needs to be fixed, something no. that needs to be, you know, you know, yeah. made made whole. <laughs> yeah. You know, we we are whole as we are, but sometimes we just need additional support and there is nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. So please um look after yourself and get the support that you need however you need it and however mm-hmm. it is accessible to you. Urvi mentioned a great point about talk therapy, things of that nature are great, but they're not always accessible, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can, if you have access to health insurance, if you have access to, um, there are a lot of, uh, pay scale places that will do Mm -hmm. it based on like your income. Um, I would say, please, you know, get, get the help, get it for yourself. I'm sending my love and support through, you know, through the ether. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I guess to go further into, um, what you have like kind of already mentioned. So, and again, share as much or as little as you, as you want. <laughs> this is a very, you know, personal topic, but right. were there any like cultural or societal expectations that you think had impacted, you know, your mental health? This is a great question. And after I answer, I'm going to throw that back at to you. Cause I'm, I want to hear about your experiences with that too. So yes, absolutely. And for context, my parents, were born and raised in Gujarat, India, and they immigrated to the U.S. in the 80s. And so I was born in the States. And like many people in similar circumstances, I was navigating three different cultures. So one, my Indian roots, two, the American culture, whatever that is that I was trying to assimilate to, right? And then the third, a combination of both of them. And 
from my experience, similar to yours, mental health was just not something we talked about at home that I'm beginning to learn might be more universal than I. But specifically when it comes to culture, I think that mental health has not always been understood in this general Indian culture um, and that it has been seen in correlation with failure. So like, oh, she's going to see a doctor for her mind. Something must be wrong with her. Something must be wrong with how she was raised or with her family. Um, And I think that's where my fear all of those years stemmed from, this idea that I was going to disappoint my family or that I was not, again, normal, right? And that's, again, it seems like it's more universal, but I think it's also very cultural to um, Indian culture as well, that it's just... Indian culture is very community-based, whereas in the United States, we live in an individualistic society. And it's just different how something like self-care and mental health is approached or not approached at all, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I would say, yeah, probably uh, similar. Uh, My family is from the States. We're uh, Black American, but I had mentioned before, like therapy just wasn't um, Mm -hmm. discussed like in our home and, you know, We'd even, you know, would joke, you know, joke about it. And I mentioned that, you know, therapies, therapies for white people. <laughs> um, Why is that so funny? It's so, I'm laughing because it's like funny and ridiculous at the same time. Yes. Um, Lord. Um, <laughs> but that was, you know, growing up, that's kind of like what I heard and what was repeated. And it was yeah. like a, a joke and a trope within the, mm-hmm. the broader black community, you know? Um, and... I think it was just, I feel like, I mean, I know it's like cultural and it's a, it is a product of being, you know, black in the States and the history of racism, the history of colonization Mm -hmm. um, that has driven this whole notion or narrative that we need to be strong, Mm -hmm. that we need to keep going, you know, Mm -hmm. brush things off or you deal with it, but, you know, or you go to church, whatever it is, but... Mm -hmm you know, there's, there's something taboo about going to someone and talking about your feelings, you know, Mm -hmm. like feelings, Mm -hmm. (laughs) we don't have time for feelings, you know, there's work to do, like literal work to do. So, um, Mm -hmm. I think for me having to unpack that, um, took a while. I think I, I went to my first therapy session. I must've been, um, I think in my early twenties and mm-hmm. I just went of my own fruition. I was just like, I need to go talk to someone. I just not mm-hmm. feeling great. And, um, and it doesn't work this way for everyone, but you know, I got into the office and, and there was like the stereotypical couch and there was mm-hmm. like this older gentleman and yeah. you know, he had the little box of tissues. And I was yeah. like, okay, so I just lay on this couch and just <laughs> <laughs> yes. tell you everything I'm feeling. And I was like, <laughs> And I was like, um, okay, but it is so strange. I can tell you, I bawled. I don't mm-hmm. think I had cried so hard in so mm-hmm. long that first session. And I couldn't make heads or tails of it. Like he mm-hmm. asked me maybe the simplest question was just like, how are you? Yeah. And I just cried. I just cried. And I could, I was like, what is wrong with you? And you know, mm-hmm. like the, that sort of voice starts, you know, kicking in. It was like, why are you crying? You better stop crying, you know, wipe those tears. And, and it was like, oh man. And then, um, and I, and I ended up stopped, I stopped going and I didn't go back to therapy for a really long time until recently. Mm -hmm. 
and because it, I don't think I was ready. I wasn't ready yeah. to say that. Um, because the, the, the cultural voices, I think were too loud still at that point. Like, yeah. like it, it felt almost like a betrayal. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, it's I start asking you questions as what happens. They want to get to know you. Um, right. They might ask about your family dynamic. They might ask about, you know, things of that nature. And for me, I was like, how can I be telling this stranger information about my family, about, you know, and leaving it open for someone to judge, you know? And then, you know, the back, the back comes up, the walls come up and it's like, you know, you don't know my family. You don't know what we've been through. You don't know what we've had to um, survive. And you don't know why this person is the way that they are. And And again, it comes with like, you mentioned inclusiveness, um, mm-hmm. understanding intersectionalities, understanding uh, being able to contextualize certain things. So um, I think I may not have felt that I was in a space where the you know other person could do that for me, and mm-hmm. then I felt like I was going to spend the rest of the time defending, mm-hmm. you know, everyone's mm-hmm. decisions as opposed to just healing. So so yeah, so it took me a while to get back um, into therapy and to sort of unpack that myself and understand, you know, generational traumas where that was coming from. Yeah. It's, it's heavy. (laughs) Yeah. You brought up so many things that I just want to take a moment to like, yeah. So first you said you bawled the first session, you completely bawled. You were crying at simple questions in that moment. Do you feel like that was the moment where you allowed yourself to feel your feels, you know, to kind of take that wall down initially and just say, I'm allowed to feel these emotions. I'm allowed to it unpack all of this right now in the form of tears. Um, no, I don't think I did. I think upon, you know, reflection, like I said, this was, this was years ago, probably over 10 mm-hmm. years ago now. Um, I think I was so overwhelmed that that was the um like the sort of physical manifestation of of that overwhelmingness like I am someone you know who doesn't cry often even till this day um something you know for me to keep working on (laughs) you know the work is never done um and I I wasn't someone who allowed myself to cry and so when I got into that space I didn't want to cry um but I literally, like, I was so overwhelmed with everything yeah. I was feeling and couldn't put a name to that I could not stop it. And then, you it know, up. yeah, yeah. And then immediately after it was like embarrassed, <laughs> like, yeah. which is like not the point. Like that is the space for that. Like mm-hmm. if you don't feel you can do it anywhere else, like within, you know, therapy or counseling is the space, mm-hmm. you know, to feel safe enough to mm-hmm. embrace those things. But I don't think I was ready. So it was just like a a dam bursting, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think you bring up another good point again. It's, it's okay if you're not ready for therapy. And I think that's something that everyone needs to identify with themselves. Like, do not listen to someone that keeps telling you, go to therapy, go to therapy, something's wrong with you, go to therapy. Don't do it until you're ready to, because that's valid. You know yourself and you know whether you're ready to identify things, if you're ready to talk about certain experiences and if you're not, that's to anyone who's listening, that's okay. Do not feel pressured to do something like that until you feel ready. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> Cause we just, we just know ourselves. We know if we're not 
there yet. And that's okay. Yeah. And I think, um, and I've, I've been that person on the other side who's like, you know, cause there's almost something that happens too. I feel, and maybe I'll just speak for myself. When I started doing the work, I call it like the investigative work into myself. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's been a long process and will will continue. But when I really started getting into reading a lot of, you know, quote unquote, self-help books, um, mm-hmm. trying to understand my thinking patterns, my attachment styles, like journaling more consistently, doing yoga, trying to meditate, you know, mm-hmm. when I really started doing that, then you almost get into, you start to feel good. Yeah. When you start to feel good, you you almost become like an advocate for it in a way, but like not the good kind of advocate. Then you start, you know, I was like pushing that onto friends, like, don't you want to feel better? Like, don't, you know, why don't you start meditating with me? And and yeah, like, what about therapy? Have you thought about therapy? Do you want to go to therapy? You should go to therapy. Like, don't, don't be that person, guy. Yeah. It's just, you know what effect that it's had on you. You know the effect of those, like, activities and something like therapy has had on you. You just want everyone to feel that same relief, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. Um, I wanted to follow up with one more thing. You mentioned um, generational trauma. And I think that that's not something that's talked about a lot. But and I, I this might be similar for you just from what you've said. I know with my family and probably your family too, therapy wasn't something that people did in our older generations. It might not have been a thing. Mental health might not have been talked about. And so where we are today, where we sit, we have the weight of our ancestors on us almost. And that's a lot of trauma to hold in and of itself. And I just, I just wanted to acknowledge, I don't think that's talked about a lot. So I appreciate you bringing up that, that term, that very real thing that affects so many people today. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I feel like, uh, that term I myself wouldn't have used probably a year ago. (laughs) I wouldn't have used that term, but it's become so, um, prevalent, I feel. Mm -hmm. And of the times and like, it's being discussed more, it's being, um, researched more and of course there are those who have done this uh research already and it's out there but it almost seems like how how could we not be affected by Mm -hmm. what has happened to our parents and our grandparents and our great grandparents and so forth and so on like you know we all take bits and pieces and parts of of you know everyone that we interact with but especially the people that have raised us so if they have maybe been unable, were never given the space or opportunity to process mm-hmm. their traumas, then what do we think happens when, you know, <laughs> we get tossed right. in the mix? <laughs> yeah. That was such a great way to put it. Yeah. yeah. And it's and it's a lot. It's a lot to take in sometimes because like we have both mentioned, sometimes you feel like um, and sorry, guys, there's something happening uh, in the apartment above me. So you may hear some rustling. I don't know what that is. Um, but we had both mentioned sometimes feeling like there was something bad about us or something wrong mm-hmm. or or just sometimes you just have such heavy feelings that you almost don't know where they're coming from because you're like, but I was fine, you know, right. a, a day ago. I was fine an hour mm-hmm. ago. What is mm-hmm. this? And sometimes, you know what? It's not even our pain that we are carrying Mm-mm. it is mm-hmm. other people's pain that we are carrying and we have no idea sometimes we're not able to identify it we're not able to put it into words we just know that something's wrong we know that we're feeling pain that something's off but we cannot put it into words because 
I don't know. I don't know why, but yeah. Yeah. And it's just realizing, you know, we're not as singular as we think. We're not as isolated as we think, you know, Mm -hmm. it's all interconnected. Mm -hmm. And as you start to realize, you know, a lot of heavy generational stuff, I think it allows you to give, and I say this a lot, but it allows you to give grace to yourself. And then it allows Mm -hmm. you to give grace to others in your life, especially uh, for me, like my parents and stuff. Like I know that they love me and I know that I'm loved Mm -hmm. by them and they've done their absolute best. But now I'm able to acknowledge it from a space of like, okay, you did do your best. And sometimes your best wasn't, you know, good enough. And that's Mm -hmm. okay. That happens. And also me realizing now I have a higher level of empathy that I never Mm -hmm. had before, never had access to before, especially, you know, as a teen and a young adult, you know, just saying, you know, why are you this way? Why are they this way? And then now I'm like, I'm like, oh, you know, you were hurt too. Right, right. They too have mental health. <laughs> it just clanged <laughs> my eyes, right? <laughs> Ooh, okay. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, even going far further back, you know, um, I don't know what the, the history of mental health may be in your family, and maybe you can speak mm-hmm. to that, but even um, for so long, when, like my, my grandmother on my paternal side, and I hope to have her on the podcast, but she's she's wonderful, and she's suffered with mental illness. Um, mm-hmm. Probably, I mean, the whole of, of my life, but like, you know, we weren't always, I wasn't always able to name it, but like now she will just talk about it, which is great. Like we, she and I will have conversations about mental health and mental illness. Yeah. Um, and it's like quite beautiful to have that um, yeah. now, but I think for her is a lot of pain and suffering and her, you know, feeling a lot of guilt and responsibility for us and not wanting us mm-hmm. to experience what she had experienced. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes when I relay my own thoughts and feelings to her, she's like, oh, that's how I feel. And I, and, you know, I never wanted you to feel that way. And I'm just like, I'm like, why, why were we connecting the dots before? <laughs> right. Oh, that, that makes me, my heart like warm up, but also it, it hurts it because yeah. it still continues through generation. Right. Yeah. I'm like, of course, like, why would I be exempt from these things? Right. You know? Why would any of us be exempt from these things if, you know, this is what's, what's happening? And then it's also like, you know, why didn't we talk about it as a family? Why wasn't it embraced? Why did we say, you know, this was happening to so, so forth and so on? Like, maybe you're experiencing the same things. Maybe we can get you help, you know? So, yeah. like I said, it's a process. You know, I don't know if that's, you know, similar in your family or... Yeah, absolutely. I think that I want to definitely say we come from very uniquely different backgrounds and that's beautiful, but we also share a lot of similarities when it comes to some of these common um, experiences. So again, mental health was not something that was talked about at home, you know, and I love what you said that you didn't have access to this empathy for your family that you now have. And I just recently started having a better understanding of that too. And so for my parents, when they came to the U.S., their goal was to survive, right? Survive as immigrants and support their family. This meant physically surviving and pushing through the mental strains that came with it. And I know they've spoken to me about some of those 
those challenges, not explicitly, but just through their stories, you can hear those taints of how challenging that was for their mental health. And like I mentioned before, they grew up in a very community-based society. So anything that they did had to be for their family, for their community, and maybe not had to be, but it was innately for their community or for their family. And there was just this negative, negative stigma behind all of it, right? The mental health. And I remember that when I first talked to my mom about um, therapy, one of the things that stuck with me, and luckily it has greatly evolved since then, is that she expressed that she must have done something wrong for me to need therapy, right? For me to seek counseling. And that hurt so much. And initially, I was just so focused on, on that statement and how it affected me. But then it wasn't until recently, like I said, that I was just like, my parents have gone through their own traumas. They haven't had the opportunity or access to, to let themselves feel the feels and for them to heal from that trauma. And they still haven't just because that's the nature of the society that we live in right now. Um, and, and now where I stand, I'm able to like have interactions with them and have experiences and conversations with them and be a little bit more grown about it. Like take a step back and say, this is happening because of their past. This has no reflection on me or who I am as a person. The way they're behaving, the way they're feeling, the way they're interacting is because is a direct, directly connected to what they have experienced. And that's not, as a teenager, I was so angry. As someone who was an undergrad, I was so angry. And now I'm less angry and have access to this empathy for them that I didn't have before. And Wow, it's it's just so powerful to have that because I feel like as individuals we're able to be more grown, to be able to be more mature, to be able to understand understand our parents that we have in a way that we haven't been able to before. Um, and like now, luckily, we are my parents and I are able to have conversations about mental health. They're not perfect. They're not like where I'd like them to be. Like they're not like conversations that I'm having with you, Jara. But we've been able to communicate better and. It's just, it's a step in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Um, it's, it's so amazing what like perspective and time um, will give you uh, in a way an add towards like your healing. And I feel um, what I really uh, was struck by is what I myself am, you know, have been through as well and still going through is like, once you get out of that, like guilt and shame cycle, you know, like you're saying the words that your mom said, which, you know, to her could have just been innocuous words that she said once, never thought of again, but somehow mm-hmm. struck you in such a way and like played into a lot of, you know, fears that you had. And I've had same, similar experiences where you're just like, why can that leave me? And why did it, you know, hold me for so long? And like, once you're able to break a little bit of understanding, you can see, yeah, like the freedom that comes with what you said, being able to recognize okay, that's their trauma speaking right now. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. their pain speaking. That's their disappointment speaking. Whatever it may be, that's not me. And it is not a reflection of my worth. That is a, oh, that lesson, I, <laughs> I'm still learning. I still struggle. Oh, yeah. Yes. Like even <laughs> you speaking that back to me, I, I'm just like, I needed to hear that spoken back to me. <laughs> because it's, it is crazy. And I mean, and it's like, how, how can you not feel it affect your worth when it's 
coming from someone, especially a parent, you know, and for me, a lot of that has, has to been, you know, my mother, I don't know what it is about mothers and daughters and that sort of cycle of that relationship. (laughs) That is a powerful, powerful lesson. Like, Mm -hmm. and one that I, you know, try to remind myself of all the time, like my self work Mm -hmm. is not dependent on other people's Mm-hmm. things of me other people's perceptions of me like that doesn't change me and you can't tie your self-worth to others and I think mm-hmm. we're raised in a way in which we're almost conditioned to do that you know mm-hmm. where like other people's opinions of us matter so much more than how we feel about ourselves or we base the way we feel about ourselves based on what others have said to us which is mm-hmm. crazy like <laughs> and then we end up you know repeating these things like over and over again until you know hopefully you know the the breakthrough comes and and you know hopefully the the breakthrough won't always be like we said the rock bottom or the rock bottom of the rock bottom but yeah Yeah. uh, fortunately sometimes it is um and I don't I guess if hmm um, cause I'm also thinking too, like we, we mentioned empathy and compassion, especially for mm-hmm. our parents and the generations before us. Mm-hmm. And then I think it also comes also with like forgiveness, mm-hmm. forgiveness oh. of self, forgiveness of them. Because a lot of times, like you said, you know, your parents share stories, but they don't always include the whole mm-hmm. truth. So sometimes we're operating from a knowledge of them and we realize, do I even know who they are? <laughs> Yes. Right. Yeah. Like I think all the time I'm like, I've never heard stories about, you know, my parents like formative years or growing up. I'm like, I don't even know who this person was before they became my parent. Like, and they had full lives before they (laughs) had us. So (laughs) like, and it's just like, sometimes I'm, you know, think of like, you, you mentioned anger. I too had a lot of anger, a lot of anger. I didn't know what to do with. So I just, pushed it down, pushed it down, pushed it down. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be angry. No, you know, anger wasn't an acceptable emotion for me. You know, good people weren't angry. And if I wanted to be good, I couldn't be angry. So, right. but now I, I kind of can give that sort of forgiveness to myself and, and all the things I didn't know that maybe, you know, my parents were dealing with mm-hmm. um, and the ways in which they may have reacted to me um, mm-hmm. and the ways in which I then reacted to them. So it's just, again, cycles. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was sort of forgiveness. Cause I, I'm thinking even like, I don't know your parents, I've never met them, but I can't even imagine, you know, immigrating from your home, mm-hmm. from your country, from your family, coming to someplace new where the, the customs, the culture is different, encountering, mm-hmm. um, depending on where they may have went, but I'm sure levels of discrimination because it, mm-hmm. it's the States, it's the United States. And, you know, we have a history of that. Um, raising a family, wanting to connect them to your home, but also wanting to bring them up here, trying to provide mm-hmm. opportunities, but also not having the space to feel homesick or to feel any level of things. Because like you said, you're in survival mode. Like, right. it's a lot. And I, it's wild because I'm, I'm here, you know, self-proclaiming. I am an advocate for mental health awareness and racial justice. And one of things that I have to consistently remind myself of that's hard to admit is that I need to give that grace to my parents too. 
why are they any different for the people that I say I'm advocating for when they are the people that I'm advocating for too? And I always have to ground myself and remind myself that they aren't, they immigrated here. They're not from here. I don't know before I was born up until maybe I was a toddler, I don't know what they had to go through. And the only thing I can do is just imagine. And my imagination just, you know, comes up with the wildest things, the most harmful, hateful things that they probably have had to experience and continue to experience today. And it's hard to admit, but it's something that I have to continuously ground myself on and remind myself of. And in many ways, it's similar to the experience of what your ancestors might have gone through, but very dissimilar in that my parents immigrated here while many of your ancestors were probably facing this generational trauma of being here and not being seen as human of being seen, being products of just so much hate, so much discrimination and racism, right? And it's just something that's so important. I feel like for anyone out there to to remind yourself that um, one, it's whatever someone else's interactions are with you, they're not a product of who you are. They're just, it's a product of what that person has gone through, especially when it comes to an issue like this. Yeah, definitely. I would co-sign everything you just said. (laughs) Yeah. And it is about um, providing just a a lot of grace for yourself and for others and a lot of space. And, and again, like this, this all comes with time. Like if you are listening to this and you hear us speaking and you think we sound like, oh, wow. Like they seem so, you know, evolved and they've gotten it. No, I'm going to speak for myself. I'm still going through it. You know, I'm still repeating patterns that I'm like, girl, I thought we worked through this already. Yep. Yep. I co-signed on that. And it's imperfect. Like I'm imperfect and healing is sometimes imperfect and it's not linear. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. it's going to have its ups and downs and you'll feel like you've achieved a place and then something will happen and it'll, you know, knock you back down a little bit and you start, you know, you start over again. But I feel like we owe it to ourselves to embark on the journey because Mm -hmm. we are all worth it. Like we're all worth it. And we, I, you know, feel we all deserve to live our most authentic life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is, this is part of getting to decide what that looks like you know, and that's going to be different for each and every one of us. So um, for me and for what would be our journey involves therapy, it involves, you know, advocating, it involves um, undergoing these things. And for some of you, that might be your journey as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But for others, it may not look the same way. And like, that's okay. But, you know, I hope listening to this, you at least feel the space to feel your feels, which is so important and which I think, you know, a lot of us deny ourselves because it doesn't fit into the ideal of who we want to be or think we need to be. But um, yeah, let this be the space to just feel it, feel it all <laughs> right now. Because <laughs> I am, I'm like, oh man, I'm feeling so emotional right now. <laughs> Me too. I know, I didn't think we'd go this deep in <laughs> this conversation. I know, I didn't expect it either, but I strangely am really appreciating it. Yeah, I'm grateful. I'm, I'm so grateful. And I thank you for um, sharing as much as you have. And um, I guess like continuing our conversation, because we talked about the cultural influences that, you know, our families and have had on like our journey with mental health. So the next part, I guess, is like, we've talked about this a little, but like, how have you reframed 
or like unpack those influences? Yeah, I think in terms of reframing it, I talked a little bit about this before, you know, just understanding that culturally, it just wasn't part of my parents' lives. It just wasn't. And being in a space to hold that empathy for that, and also being in a space to hold compassion for the fact that they also faced um, mental health issues. And also, in a different way of reframing it, I would never tell a friend who is struggling that they are not normal because of their mental health or that they are behaving in a negative way or they are bad people. I would never tell my friends that. And I have to remember that if I wouldn't say it to them, why would I say it to myself? And there's a lot of unlearning that comes with that because I think as humans, we have this uh, it's, it's such a detriment. We just, we are able to be so critical with ourselves. And it's something that I have to reframe every day and ask myself, would you say this to your best friend? Would you say this to Jira? Would you say this to your mom? And no, no, I absolutely wouldn't. So why would I say it to myself? Yes, absolutely. I too <laughs> struggle so much with that self-criticism, especially for me, um, negative self criticism. When we speak of advocacy, it's becoming mm-hmm. more and more apparent to me throughout this conversation just how important self-advocacy is. Mm-hmm. And it's not always something that other people see. It's It can be creating boundaries, whether it's physical boundaries or mental boundaries. Ooh, that, and yes. that is advocacy for yourself. Yes. And, you know, we, we talked a lot, especially in the beginning about showing up, showing up for yourself. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? each and every day. Sometimes that means maybe you can't follow through on certain commitments that you made, you know, and being okay with that. Like what we just said, boundaries, you know, I would love to have an episode on boundaries because they are so prevalent and also not really spoken about in the way I think they, they need to be, or in the way in which a lot of us understand boundaries. And I, and I mentioned it briefly in like our earlier solo episode, but I still am trying to figure out a way to impart my emotional boundaries with people mm-hmm. um, in a way that like, I don't know, it's not me being cold or right. And I haven't quite figured out how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so again, uh, yeah, part of the process, part of advocacy is, but the first step I think is just, you know, acknowledging that you, you need certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to feel like you're in a healthy space or in order to be your best self or show up as your best self. So um, yeah, for me, I think I'm still kind of in that first step of acknowledging what those things are. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully I can get to the step of like conveying those things to other people. (laughs) Yeah. And you said before, this is such a non-linear experience. So it might even be like those two intersecting at times and that's okay too. Mm -hmm. I think um, this question is like coming to me and I'm formatting in my head because it wasn't one of the questions, but um, I know we spoke of within your sort of like immediate family, but how do you feel um, maybe the conversation around mental health is or isn't being reframed within like a broader like South Asian community? Yeah, I didn't grow up around a lot of South Asians. Um, Just in my community, we were just you know, as such a nuclear family, we have a lot of cousins, a lot of family members, but I was one of the younger cousins and we didn't really have a community of other Indians um, consistently growing up. And so I can't speak on that, but just from what I've seen on social media, 
on um, the internet just with like organizations forming. I feel like there's a lot of things that are evolving amongst millennials and Gen Z when it comes to South Asian mental health. Um, one of them is an organization called SASMHA. They deal with South Asians and sexual assault and conversations about sex and gender. And that's that was, I believe, begun by um, millennials. And I feel like there is a lot of shift happening there, not necessarily with the older generations. Um, not that all of them aren't there yet, but it just seems like that is the trend. So those conversations are coming up, I feel like. And again, this is specifically for probably South Asians that were born in the United States. I can't speak for, you know, the geographic South Asian countries. Um, but yeah, I, I have hope that it's evolving. I wish I could speak more to it. But just from what I've seen and what I surround myself um, on social media, it seems like there is this growing um, awareness when it comes to mental health. Yeah, yeah. I would I would say um, I see the same thing happening within the... That's okay. Um, <laughs> you guys just got a little... Ding, 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 ding. No, it's, it's okay. I, who knows what else my mic is picking up on, honestly. <laughs> you You all know this is as I mentioned before, before we started recording, this is a homegrown podcast. I'm in my <laughs> room. <laughs> um, you know, you're just going to hear life happening in the background. Yes. <laughs> um, but I would say, I think in the black community as well, uh, it's becoming more prevalent, a, a heavier emphasis on mental health um, within the black community, which I also would agree. I think it is a lot of the younger generation, like millennials. Um, is it, what's the generation Z? What are they after us? Gen Z, yeah, Z? I think. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. That's how. <laughs> I don't even know. These people were born in the 2000s. <laughs> what are those whippersnappers called? Yeah, but I, I think it's becoming more prevalent. And we're just, I think they're opening up the spaces for to have this, these dialogues and to bring it to the forefront. Um, I feel like it's also being advocated more. Um, when we talk about, you know, Black Lives Matter, the movement and what we're looking for in, in terms of like social justice or just social changes um, yeah. in our society is an emphasis on mental health, which mm -hmm. I think is um, wonderful and much needed. Um, and yeah, and it, uh, in the show notes, I'll I'll post like the organization that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. and, um, there's a, a few websites I'm sure we can add for people um, to get like help or services or just like informed and like therapy for black girls, which was a podcast I was introduced to mm -hmm. has been really, really helpful. Um, just in creating like community and like, yeah. access to things. And, um, so I wanted to ask, and again, like share as much or as little, you know, as, as you want, but cause I'm thinking about my own experiences as well. Um, do you feel like and this, of course, is all like hearsay because we can't change the past. But do you feel like you maybe would have felt less isolation if you had been around a bigger, you know, Indian community? Like growing That's up? a great question. I I want to say I would have. It's hard to yeah. really determine that. A large part of me wishes I did. Um, so my sister married into. Um, a family and another Indian family from different culture. They're Bengali and they grew up with a lot of um, other Bengali community members. And I find myself looking at them and wondering what it would have been like to also have had a similar 
community growing up? I don't know is the basic answer, but I want to say I I think it would have been nice to have a community of of people my age specifically that I could share those experiences with. Like I think universally there are people like me. So a millennial, someone who was born in the States but has Indian immigrants, specifically Gujarati. I know there are people out there. I just haven't grown up with them. I haven't been connected with them and I'm only able to connect with them on social media, right? Um, but yeah, my my hope and my thought is that that would have definitely impacted um, the way I felt a sense of community and my mental health. Yeah, yeah. I I bring that up because I, I feel um, similar. And I didn't grow up in, um, I don't want to say like an insulated place. I mean, I, our schools weren't small. Like when you grow up in the inner city, mm-hmm. like overpopulation is a given. So, you know, I'm not talking about like a, a class size of 10 and there's just one black. I'm talking about class size of 30 and I'm the only black child in the class. I mean, upon retrospect, I realize now, like, there's no way that didn't have an impact on me. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I'm shocked almost at how long it took me to realize realize that. (laughs) Part of, I think, my isolation was being perceived a certain way. I think that was partly based on the fact that I was black, that I was a black girl. So a lot of, like, me having to defend myself, um, me having to put up walls and being perceived, I would say, as like, you know, aggressive or angry or, you know, a lot of that was, I believe, you know, racially motivated. Um, 100%. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying that because, you know, I was bullied or anything. I wasn't, but um, there wasn't many people who could understand my personal experience of being like, almost sometimes singled out in a way as the black girl. And I, and I, yeah. And I think, I think, yeah, having more people, you know, around who, who looked like me or, or didn't even necessarily look obviously exactly like me because there's a variety of beautiful shades and ways of being black and looking black. So, but I think I definitely probably may have felt less isolated. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even, so when you said, when you asked that question in my head, I was thinking, oh, like a community outside of school, because it was already a given that nobody in school. (laughs) (laughs) So I I love that you were talking about school there, because I remember I didn't have um, any South Asian Asian teachers, but my brother, who's a year younger than me, did when he was in third grade. And I will always remember it, because that was the first South Asian teacher that we had ever seen, and probably... I'm pretty sure was the only South Asian teacher I ever had. And so the fact that I had a South Asian teacher, but like, don't even remember interacting with anyone like me that was a student. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's a lot to unpack there. It is, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, it's so layered because I'm thinking too, like you mentioned having to navigate three cultures, you Mm -hmm. said. So, you know, what that must be like for people who don't necessarily understand, you know, having family that has immigrated from somewhere, wanting Mm -hmm. to honor that part of you, but also, you know, being quote unquote American, Mm -hmm. you know, there's really no way to quantify it. Right. But how, how difficult that is. Yeah. If you have no one to look, you know, to look to, to who can relate. And I don't think in elementary school, I had any black teachers. Yeah. I was going to ask you that. When was the first time that you had, a black teacher that you even remember? Honestly, I think it was high school. Mm-hmm. Wow. That makes, yeah, that makes sense representation wise, right? 
Yeah. A lot to unpack right there. I feel like we can go on forever about this. (laughs) So interesting. So interesting. Yeah. But I mean, it just goes to show, like you said, mental health affects every aspect of your life. Mm -hmm. Even ones that you don't think it does, it Mm -hmm. does. And the way that your mental health is informed comes from so many different aspects of, of life. So if you think something wasn't an issue or wasn't a problem, I can almost bet you it was. <laughs> if you remember it 10 years later, but you're like, oh no, that was a small thing I remember. That impacted you. It's still affecting you right now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I just um, set myself into a spiral, guys. I'm going to have to do some journaling later. Um <laughs> That's so funny. I was just going to call my dad and be like, yep. um, why did we move to this area? Now we Honestly, to- I'm going to ask my parents the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because now I want to know. <laughs> but I'm sure it, it always has to do with, you know, opportunity, providing accessibility, opportunity, opportunity yeah. all of that. Mm-hmm. It's so interconnected. Like you said, everything is so interconnected in order to understand mental health for anyone who is interested in mental health advocacy, you really need to look at the whole picture and anything that's systemically impacting a group of people too, right? And yeah, you just, there's so much that's connected that can't be overlooked. Yeah. And I mean, we won't, we won't be able to get to it all in this podcast because we're already (laughs) uh, two hours in. So we're going to head to break and we'll be right back with the roundup. We are back from our last and final break, and now it's time for the roundup. And this is a time where we wrap up what we've discussed or maybe even learned from our talk today. And this will also be the space for listener letters and feedback should you all want to write into the show at the brownstone podcast at gmail.com. Um, so I think just to close it out, um, is there anything that you would like to say that maybe we didn't get a chance to discuss uh, throughout our discussion? <laughs> Man, I think that there is so much that we can go on and on about in terms of mental health. I'm so glad that um, we went through so many different topics from generational trauma to systemic racism impacting trauma and just various ways to seek support. And I think those three things are just a good summary of um, what we've talked about. Yeah, we did. uh, We discussed so many things. And uh, during the break I'm using uh quotation marks because the breaks are I don't know they're not real breaks but one day <laughs> one day we'll have sponsors um we talked about doing another episode together mm-hmm. and going more in depth about certain things that we didn't have like the time or space to to get into but yeah um I think again like just I just want to restate like what we mentioned in the beginning especially about being an advocate and what that may look like and just practicing consistency, also self-advocacy being super um, important and super vital, I think, for, for all of us. So if we start there, then I think that will lend us the, the space and the knowledge to, to be an advocate for, for more groups than other than just ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, so I think, is that is there anything else you would like to say, Urvi? <laughs> yes. So... For anyone who is struggling with mental health, please, please, please know that your experiences are so unique to you 
but at the same time, you are not alone in this struggle. I encourage you to surround yourself with supportive family and friends and honestly to avoid those who may gaslight you simply because they don't understand mental health just yet. I know that for me, that personally changed everything. And most importantly, you are loved, you are normal, and you are a priority. And for any brown girls like myself out there, specifically in the South Asian community, I also recommend that you follow Brown Girl Therapy on Instagram. She's just out there normalizing the experiences that many of us share. And yeah, I'm just, I'm so happy that I was able to be here with Jera today because a conversation like this in itself is so empowering. Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for sharing that. Um, the Brown Girls Therapy. Was Brown that? Girl Therapy. Mm-hmm. Brown Girl Therapy. I will include um, a link to that or is it, it's an Instagram account. So I'll also include the Instagram handle um, in the show notes. And yeah, I just want to thank you so much Urvi, for participating, for being as open as you were for um, I think even just providing space for me to be as open in return, I, I really, really appreciate you. And I love everything that you just said. Um, so I don't want to add anything to it because I think it was like perfect. <laughs> but thank you so much. Thank you, Jara. And um, yeah, so I will also include, um, Udri has curated a list of anti-racism resources that um, I will provide the link for if anyone is interested and wants to check that out. And of course, I want to thank you all again for listening to The Brownstone with Jara Monique. Uh, Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever else you get your pods. And you can also follow us on all social media platforms. Those ads will also be in the show notes. And yes, please stay tuned for next week's episode. Love you all. Stay blessed.